The scripture reading this morning comes from Romans 8, verses 15 through 18. It can be found on your Pew Bible on page 1096. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This is the word of the Lord. Just to give you an advance uh, notice, and again, so appreciative of your response to this series on the Holy Spirit, kind of dealing a lot with the theology of the Spirit along with the presence of the Spirit in a personal sense. Uh, We will continue to focus on that at the beginning of the next quarter and the quarters that come after that uh, this year. But next week, we're going to change topics in a way to uh, the journey of overcoming. We're going to talk next week about overcoming fear. The week after that is uh, the journey of overcoming unforgiveness, and and I would would encourage you to come because you're going to hear a powerful grace along the journey that Sunday of something someone here has had to struggle with as far as forgiveness that a lot of you might not know about, and it's compelling, I'll just say that. And then we were going to do overcoming perfectionism at the end of the month, but um, through Lorna Reeves' help, she has a dear friend in Las Vegas who's a former Wiccan. (laughs) who struggles with depression, and she's also a marvelous singer, and I'm excited about her coming to share her very unique journey, but she's also going to talk about her struggle with depression, so we're going to talk about that uh, at the end of the month, and I'm excited about that. Um, Again, when we can highlight areas of brokenness that many of us struggle with and, and what Scripture has to say about that. Okay, so our theme for this year, as you know, is Breathe, Holy Spirit Moving Through Me. Some of you are getting to know that little nervous tick I had, Holy Spirit moving through me, and we've been talking about that. Uh, A number of weeks ago, we talked about welcoming the Holy Spirit. In fact, we just sang about that a few moments ago, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Uh, About three weeks ago, four weeks ago, we talked about welcoming our God, because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. Then we talked about welcoming our advocate, as many places in Scripture, particularly John 14 through 16, talks about the Holy Spirit being our advocate or counselor. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit being our guide and welcoming the Spirit as our guide within us and for us. And this week, we talk about the Holy Spirit as our witness, welcome to our witness. Now, this one is a little bit different from the others in that the others had quite an overall kind of flow to them and everything. This is more how you, this one this morning is more how you look at a diamond from three different angles because really they seem to not fit together, but really they do when you look at it in the long run. So we're going to jump right into it. You are welcome to look at your outline uh, in your bulletin. And you can also look up here because we have the scripture verses up here, or you can kind of multitask and do both if you like. But we're talking about welcoming our witness today. And we're talking about how the Spirit is our witness who testifies to three important truths. The first one, that the books of the Bible are divinely inspired. Now, we probably know the Second Timothy passage better about that, but I want us to notice one that gets overlooked too often, and that's Second Peter 1 20 and 21, which says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. 
Now, the better known one is probably 2 Timothy 3.16, which so many of us know. All, and this is the NLT version. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now, why is the Bible the inspired Word of God? How is it the inspired Word of God? How would you answer someone who came up to you and said, how do you know it's inspired? What makes it inspired? And I think I've talked about this on a Wednesday night a long time ago, and I don't know if I've ever talked about it here, but I think this is so important. First and foremost, this is where I go. The inspiration of Scripture is based on Jesus' own perception of it. You know, people ask me, how do you know the Bible is the inspired Word of God? What makes it inspired? Answer really is, well, let me put it this way. Have I baptized anyone in here, and do you remember what I told you to say when we were up in the back? Is there anybody in here I've baptized? Okay. Oh, Henry. Henry, do you, oh, Henry. Uh, used to be a candy bar. Anyway, uh, do you remember what I asked you to say? So what is the confession of faith, Henry, that you would like to share to everyone? Do you remember what it was? Bam, you got, say it loud. Henry is pretty dependable, you know what I mean? Jesus is Lord, exactly, thank you, thank you. Uh, Bo, I'm ready to baptize you whenever, by the way, okay? He, he's just chilling, okay. Uh, Jesus is Lord. Now, My belief in the inspiration of Scripture is the result of what I already believe about Jesus. Let me put it this way. I don't believe that Jesus is Lord because the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God because Jesus is Lord. My experience with and faith in Jesus comes first. That's first and foremost. And so that comes first and foremost. Therefore, my belief in Scripture follows in sync with what Jesus believes about Scripture and clearly If you believe in Jesus, you believe in his belief in Scripture and its inspiration because he no doubt believed in its inspiration. Clearly, he believed that the Old Testament was the Word of God, the inspired Word of God. Uh, You don't have to go any further than the Sermon on the Mount when he said what? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament there. I haven't come to abolish that at all. I've come to fulfill it, to add to it. But, But don't do away with it at all is what he says. No, why? Because he believes it's the inspired Word of God. Uh, He used Scripture, did he not, to to kind of define his own self-understanding. Do you remember when he was at the synagogue, unrolled the scroll from Isaiah, and it said, what, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has called me to proclaim good news to the poor? Jesus defined himself from that which he saw as the inspired Word of God. And he saw his own teachings as adding to that existing canon. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Now, he's not doing away with the Old Testament. He is adding to it. He is fulfilling it. Later on, he commissions his apostles to speak his word. In fact, if you look at John 14 through 16, he basically tells the uh, apostles that the Holy Spirit will help you recall what I taught you, and then you teach it with equal authority. And later on, you get these apostolic writings, right? That was the primary means by which they determined what books belonged in the New Testament. was the criterion called apostolicity. It's a fancy word saying, was it authored by an apostle or an apostolic associate? If so, it's inspired word of God because it comes, in a sense, directly from Jesus. So it's really Jesus who is Lord who helps me understand that I do believe the Bible is the inspired word of God because he believed it. That's why I believe in it. And, and, and I believe in it also. I do think it's inspired for other reasons too. I mean, it's just powerful. It's personal. It's transformative. And, and you've seen that. You have seen, is it difficult for you to open up Scripture and not find yourself in it? 
I mean, it's always pretty easy to find yourself in Scripture. Great story I read back in 2012, 75-year-old woman named Mary in a shirt left. I think there's a picture over here. And she bought a Bible in a used bookstore in San Clemente, California, not far from where her home was. And she took it home, and she opened it up, and two pieces of paper fell out. It's, it's the ones that she's got there. It was this yellowed uh, notebook paper. And she started to look at it, and the, there was handwriting on it, and it looked really familiar. And she came to realize it was her own handwriting. And she discovered her own name at the top of the page, and she thought back, and she realized this was a four-page essay, front and back, that she had written as a 10-year-old to earn a merit badge for Girl Scouts back in Covington, Kentucky. That long ago. <laughs> Crazy. 2,000 you know, miles away or more, and so many years apart, and yet... She purchases this Bible in a used bookstore and is deeply moved by this. She said, and I'm quoting her, she said, I opened the Bible and there was my name. I recognized my handwriting. I was shaking literally. I was crying. And it remains a mystery how it got in there, but I think that says something to you and me because if we look into God's Word, we will see evidence of our own lives, don't we? We see ourselves, individuals just like us, lovable, dysfunctional, broken people like you and me. It tickles me to no end how we kind of mythologize so many people in Scripture, particularly the Old Testament, and yet they very much had feet of clay like, like you and me, and sometimes more so than you and me. Just look as far as whoever, Abraham, Ruth, David, uh, Simon, Peter, Mary, the list goes on and on. And the Spirit reminds us of this, and the Spirit works in and through Scripture to help us see ourselves, see that mirror of ourselves personally in this powerful, powerful book. Okay, secondly, the Holy Spirit testifies that our sin has been forgiven. There's a wonderful passage in Hebrews chapter 10, and and let me just preface it by saying that the writer of Hebrews has just been talking about uh, these sacrifices that priests make on and on and on again. And he talks about really how making these sacrifices over and over again kind of just, just reinforces how sinful we are. And he says, you know what, now there's this sacrifice that Jesus made, and he describes it more than once as a once-for-all event. That when Jesus offered himself as the great high priest, and he himself was the sacrifice, there was no need for these other sacrifices that keep reminding you constantly about your sin. And so Hebrews ten fifteen through 17 says, and the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Wonderful passage. He's actually quoting from the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 31 and following. And I just love this passage so much. We're going to read the whole thing. Uh, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This is a great passage because it's not only saying that God's going to create a new covenant now with the people of Judah who have been been, uh, uh, relentlessly rebellious, and because of that they find themselves in exile uh, because of their sin. And and he's saying, you know, that's going to change. But really this passage is also foreseeing the advent of Jesus, who will be the ultimate sacrifice. Okay. So this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. 
But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will what? Never again remember their sins. It's fascinating to me that this omniscient God who knows all, there's one thing he does forget if we ask for it, and he forgets about our sin and sins. Not just the state of sin we're in, but the sins we commit. And he'll forget those. What an amazing gift from the most omniscient being there is, but yet he does that for us. Sometimes we're good at holding it over on people. There's a wonderful preacher named Steve Brown, and he talked about a a woman who came to him for counseling. And she said, I'm here because of something I did 15 years ago, and it kind of hurt my husband. And, and, you know, it was a long time ago. And he said, well, it sounds like it was a long time ago. I mean, when you confessed it to him, was it, did you confess it to him, like, just recently? Oh, no, I confessed it to him 15 years ago. He said, well, that's a good thing. He said, so why are you here to see me? He, he's forgiven you, right? And she rolled her eyes, and she said, oh, yeah, he forgives me for this every other day, even now. See what he's doing? Holding it over her. <laughs> If he wants to still kind of control her a bit, he still reminds her, you know, I forgive you for that thing you did a long time ago. Well, we can be that way with one another, or we can really be that way all the more on ourselves, and we hold it over ourselves when we don't need to. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. It was this sacrificial system where you were just reminded constantly of your sinfulness, and yet Jesus, because of his sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice, he will remember our sins no more. And because of that, we can walk in newness Walk in, in, in a new way, in a new life, uh, in a new light, I could say. There's a Japanese form of art called, and here you go, kintsukuroi. I had to work on that. Kintsukuroi. Say that with me five times real fast. No, let's not. Uh, kintsukuroi. And, and really, this was a good definition I found on a slide uh, on the internet. To repair with gold. It's the art of repairing pottery with gold or silver lacquer and understanding that the piece is more beautiful for having been broken. It's fascinating. It's it's a field of art, a type of art, but it's also a a field of philosophy. And uh, it's restoring anything, any pottery that's been broken, but they say that's a good thing. That's what we're looking for. Um, That's the good thing because the fractures actually can be illuminated with this gold or silver that you put into there. I think I've got some other examples of this. It's really some, some beautiful, but obviously it's beautiful in a sense in its imperfection. Okay, and, and you think about that though, and, and, and their big philosophy is don't disguise imperfection. You know, this highlights how brokenness and, and damage can be redeemed. And, and, and I thought to myself, you know, because it says, you know, true life doesn't begin until you reveal your brokenness and your vulnerability. That's part of this, this uh, philosophy, this Japanese philosophy. And I thought, oh, man, I can use that in a sermon and talk about, you know, Jesus, how, how he looks at our imperfections and everything. And I thought I was being so original. And, of course, good old Internet, and someone uh, already was uh, beating me to the punch here. Because I think this is great. It says, you know, Kintsukuroi. And it says, uh, Christianity, life breaks us, but then God makes us stronger and more beautiful in the broken places. And that's beautifully, beautifully put. You know, we've had this emphasis, I guess, for about eight years now. I, I remember Brookwood was at a point of need for, for a particular, I guess, virtue and practice. And, and, and we got to the point of saying, you know what it is? We just need to be more transparent. We need to be willing to be more transparent with each other, especially when we find ourselves in this culture that's very image conscious where we live. And, and I think I've just seen some beautiful um, 
transformations and the like because of, of so many of us who are willing to do that. And it's so vital. And it's really when we recognize and confess our brokenness with each other that God can really do amazing things and show how he redeems us through that. And I think of Jesus really as the ultimate uh, artist of this kind. You know, he takes our broken lives and makes them new. Uh, and really, true life begins when you acknowledge your brokenness. So the Spirit testifies that our broken places are made new and beautiful because we are forgiven. And finally, the Holy Spirit testifies that we are God's adopted children. The wonderful passage that Courtney read just a moment ago, let's put that up. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. So we no longer need to feel lost. We no longer need to feel fearful. We are adopted. The spirit testifies to the fact that we are adopted in Christ. So loved what Marissa said earlier and how her sense of adoption and call that others might feel adopted really started this chain reaction for others seeing that. And those are always beautiful stories and they warm our hearts, but when was the last time our hearts were warmed by the reality that you and I have been adopted because of the grace of Christ? You know, he delights in adopting you. Uh, Ephesians 1.5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. What that's saying is he decided from the beginning of time there would be some people who could follow him if they made the choice to follow him. And, and, and that he grants us that invitation. And all we've got to do is grasp it and, and ask for it ourselves. And he goes on to say this is what he wanted to do and it gave him great, what? Pleasure. Gave him great pleasure. He delights in adopting us, and he presents us in a new light, in his light. Speaking of the adoption of orphans, uh, in 2001, Diane Granito started this thing called Heart Gallery. How many are any of y'all familiar with Heart Gallery? It's a real. How many? Does he see a raised hand? Very cool thing, and, and I'd never heard of it. It, it started in Santa Fe. Uh, where Diane and some other people uh, wanted to uh, uh, have an exhibition of pictures of orphans who are awaiting adoption, but they said, you know what, we don't want to put the faces up that you always see in their files, because <laughs> they look like mugshots. So let's put them in their natural environment, kind of highlight their personality, and they decided to, to really make it a big exhibition. The first time they did it, over a 1,000 people came that first night, and it was a big deal. This is uh, the Louisiana uh, chapter of it. There are now 120 chapters of it. Uh, there's um, Heart Gallery of Alabama. I think that was on the last slide. Is that right, Stephen? Uh, you don't have to. Well, there it is, right there. Heart Gallery of Alabama. Wonderful, wonderful, I would say, ministry. It's capturing kids in, in their environment, helping us see them in, in a more correct light, in, in a good light. I think we've just got some random pictures of some of these kids. Instead of a mugshot of them, you've got them kind of being more of who they are. I uh, just think they're wonderful. And the cool thing is, you know, it, it's, it, when they have these exhibits, it sometimes doubles the nationwide rate at which kids are adopted in that area because of those exhibits. Think about that. Because you're just capturing them more for who they are and the beauty that is within them and, and on the outside as well. And I think that's wonderful. And it really captures the meaning of the word photography, to write in light. You're bringing them to light and, and the light that they really, in a sense, deserve. Uh, in, in a way, you know, it's like that broken pottery where the light hits uh, the gold there 
and we are made worthy through Christ. And I just think it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Think about it. Even when we were at our darkest, even when we were at our darkest, you know, God the Father views us as Christ does. You know, even when we're at our darkest, even when we're at our most broken, he looks through those broken places. In fact, he, he redeems those and fixes those on our behalf because we're adopted. Uh, Ravi Zacharias once told the story of uh, a couple from Texas who had adopted two kids from an orphanage, kind of a special needs orphanage. And uh, so they were back in Texas with these kids, but they started hearing about this one nine-year-old kid who was close friends with those two guys who just over the months to follow never was getting adopted, and he kept seeing his friends going to homes, and he never did. And uh, it's mainly because he had a rare uh, brain condition. His brain would just malfunction in the sense that he could not think straight. He could not think in linear ways at all. He would just be scattered in his thoughts, no matter what they were. And so he was very hard to communicate with. And it was difficult for him to process any information in a linear kind of sequential fashion. But he was sharp enough to realize that his friends were all leaving, and he started to ask the caretakers there, why is this happening, and why am I still here? Well, the family in Texas, somehow that got to them, and they called that orphanage and said, is that, is that kid still there? And they said, yeah. And he said, well, we'd like to adopt him too. And when the young man found out, he was so excited. You know, he realized, I'm going to live with two of my uh, former house, uh, housemates and, and going to live there, and that's going to be great. And they said the amazing thing was, here's a kid with this rare brain disorder where he can't think clearly and, and keep one thought on his mind, but they said there was one thing he kept on his mind both at the orphanage before they came to get him and then after when they took him back home. He still struggles with processing information and it's still very scattered, but if you ask him who he is or ask him his name or if he sees you for the first time, he takes his thumb and goes, I am AJ. They gave him the name AJ for uh, Anson Josiah, I'm AJ. Uh, he, he goes up to strangers. You can call me AJ, <laughs> you know, whoever it is. And isn't it fascinating that, that here's a guy who has this, this debilitation of disconnected thoughts, and yet when it has to do with who he is and whose he is, he knows that, and he will always let you know. There's this sense of wonderful uh, elation in realizing that you are adopted, and especially adopted through the Spirit, Well, taken collectively, what do we do with these three things? Because they seem to be kind of three separate thoughts, but in a way they really point to a beautiful, beautiful final truth. You know, the Spirit testifies that that the Bible is inspired, testifies that we are forgiven, testifies that we are adopted. If you take those together, what's it saying to us? Well, if you accept number one, the other two gives us an amazing sense of, and if, if I had to boil it down to one word, it would be assurance that because of what this book says, who points to the one who died on the cross for us, what does it say about us? Well, it assures us that we're forgiven. It assures us that we are adopted. And in spite of the suffering and evil and darkness and frailty that we face in this life, ultimately, ultimately, there's that life that awaits where we experience ultimate adoption. And and, and we really see that in, in a final verse here, Romans 8, 23. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of the future glory, because life is still tough here on this side of reality. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Now that's the best, that's the best of promises, that one day we will 
I don't want to say achieve that, but be given that in fullness. And again, what is keeping us from sharing this best of news with people out there? Again, I think of what Marissa shared with these people who were just so touched by others who took the time to adopt that don't we need to realize that people out there who are desperately needing to know the gospel need to know that they are adopted, that they can be adopted. So I hope that you and I will be a part of that chain reaction, which is sharing the good news of Christ with others, letting others know that they too are adopted. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can uh, hear from your inspired word and just be reminded about how we are indeed a a broken community, yet set free by you, made whole by you. And we thank you for that. We thank you for our having the blessed opportunity the last number of weeks just to learn more about your spirit and the role that he plays in in pointing to you, proclaiming you as Lord. We pray uh, even that this year we would be much, much more open to the movement of the spirit, your spirit, and that he would take us to places we never would have imagined, that he will challenge us in ways that we've never been challenged, and that we will, we will indeed experience the love that you share with your Father, with the Spirit, as the Spirit carries that love to us, that we might care, have you carry that love back to him. Thank you so much for being there with us, Holy Spirit. We welcome you here, and we say that <laughs> apologetically because you are already here. We are the ones blessed to be welcomed by you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.